welcome to the Eclectic Readers Podcast, where we read day or night. I'm Jeanette. I'm Tara. And I'm Meredith. Hey guys, how are you? Hi! It's my birthday! Yay! I know! Happy birthday! <laughs> Happy birthday, Tara! Yes! And my favorite thing about it is waking up and having this conversation with you. Aw, you're Aww. so sweet. It's been like almost a birthday month, to be 100% honest, but definitively a birthday week. Um, I just got back from Gen Con. If anybody's following our Instagram, uh, you've seen some of my pictures. I just got back from Gen Con. My birthday's today. My husband has a surprise for me. Uh, I have no idea what it is, but uh, yeah, I will update you all later on that, but I'm really excited. It's been a, it's been a, good, it's been a good birthday experience this year. Yeah. That's awesome. Has he given you any hints about the surprise? No. He's really good at that. He basically just looks at me and he's like, you don't actually want to know. And I'm like, I kind of do. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> so I get nothing. Nothing at all. Mina's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. What about you, Meredith? How are you doing? Well, I haven't had a birthday week, but I've had a bookish week, which is also fun. That is <laughs> also good. <laughs> So it started earlier, it started on Tuesday when I went with my husband and some of our local bookish friends to an author event, uh, which was with Pierce Brown, who is the author of the Red Rising series. Mm -hmm. The sixth book, which is called Dark Age, just came out last week. And so he's on book tour. And uh, it was at one of our local politics and prose locations. And oh my gosh, it was packed. We got there, uh, my husband and I got there about a quarter to six for a seven o'clock event, and we got the last two seats in the back. <laughs> How you know you're in wow. Washington, D.C. Like, that's, like, that is the most D.C. thing I've ever heard Yeah, and, <laughs> in um, my life. Yeah, and then, um, so there was still standing room, so like the rest of our friends who got there later were able to stand behind us. And then uh, there was just people everywhere. It was insane. Um, but it was so much fun. I had never met him before, so that was awesome. He is, like, a brilliant writer, and I'm, like, excited but also terrified to see what he does in this next book. <laughs> uh, because he had the first three as a trilogy, and now he's on to the second trilogy. And the second trilogy is set ten years after the original trilogy ended. And so you're kind of getting to see how things play out. You know, you're like, oh, yay, revolution. But, like, what does that actually mean? I like that. Ooh, so much So much of books or TV series is just, yeah, this stuff happens. All right, now let's move on to the next thing. And I'm like, no, but what happens after you actually go away? Like, what happens Like, when... what happens to the government that you just overthrew? You know, yeah, like, exactly. yeah, there are repercussions yeah. to that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. so it was very interesting, and it was also amazing because um, this is pretty much like my husband's favorite author, Um, and so he was he was so cute when we went up and got all our books signed, and we got a picture with him, and he was so excited. It was great. Author crush, so cute. Yeah, it is really cute. He was like, he gave me a fist bump. Oh my god. (laughs) It was so cute. I couldn't stop smiling. Um, And then uh, yesterday, I actually met up with Jeanette and some of our other friends, and we went down to the local library branch that's near me, and uh, because they had been doing the summer reading challenge, and so they got to pick up their prizes, and uh, we perused the books a little bit with little Catherine. They had uh, they have a nice little children's section, so that was nice. Uh Aw, 
cute. Yeah, it was fun. What about you, Nat? How you doing? Um, I'm doing really well. It's been like such a nice summer. Like lots of just reading, and I've been doing like the book fitness challenge that's going on Litzy. So it's like combining books with health, and so mm. I just feel like it's been like a really relaxing, healthy kind of summer. And I've been having a lot of fun with my daughter because I've been home and she and I have been spending a lot of time together. We now have a tradition where we go once a week or so to Target to pick up basically nothing. Like we'll pick up one thing. The other day it was milk. And she is so into it now because we go in, we go to the little Starbucks there. She gets one of those juice pouches and I get an iced coffee. And then we wander around Target being completely suburban cliches, drinking our little <laughs> Starbucks, and taking a selfie, because Aww. our family thinks this is hilarious that we have become little suburban cliches. But it's like her favorite <laughs> thing. She's like, "Mommy, can we go to Target?" It's like, Aww, sure, that's... honey. So that's why I got that's our, real cute. And that's our new silly field trip. But and you know, it's just nice to just relax. So. Yeah, you definitely need it. Yeah, you know, been going. We'll be going to the school year shortly, so it's good to get that little, uh, that little chill time. Definitely, I miss that chill time. <laughs> yeah. Well, during that chill time, are you getting any reading done? What are we reading now? Did you ask if Jeanette's reading? Well, Crazy I mean, questions. it sounds like she's spending a lot of time at Target. So true. True. <laughs> Maybe once a week, guys. Let's let's get crazy. I'm not moving in. Um, But yeah, I've definitely been reading. Uh, Currently, I'm working on Vengeful by V.E. Schwab. I saved it for this very moment. August is going to be like my amazing reading month. Everything is like happy and making me happy. Like, um, so Schwab obviously had to go on that list. And so I'm about halfway through that. And the other thing I'm reading is When a Scott Ties the Knot by Tessa Dare. I actually finished that in one night. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> guys, it is like the, the funniest romance. This woman, she's an introvert, and she doesn't want to find a husband. So she invents this soldier fiancé who's off fighting Napoleon. And her family's like, well, you should write him letters. You must miss him so much. So she writes letters and sends them basically off to nobody, except there's totally a soldier by the name she invents. Of off fighting the is. Napoleonic Wars. So he receives all her letters. And then for reasons of his own, when he comes back, he decides, you know what? I am going to marry her. Oh, and my gosh. Yeah. So it's super, super funny. And I was smiling as I was reading it and giggling. And I was supposed to just read like a chapter or two before bed the other night. And I ended up reading till 3 a.m. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> highly recommend Tessa Dare romances. They're super fun. So what about I, you guys? What are you reading, Tara? So I finished recently um, Tell Me How You Really Feel by Emina May Safi. And this was described as if uh, this is a little like teen romance which was just adorable it was described as if like Rory and Paris were the main couple of Gilmore Girls (laughs) I actually picked this up during our reunion in June 
um, at one of the local bookstores in D.C. It was recommended. Um, It was so adorable. It was just so cute. It was the cutest little romance. And afterwards, I was like, man, I want to write. I want to write a romance. I, I, I think maybe... I think maybe one of these NaNoWriMo's, I may give it give it a go. Um, but it was just too, too cute. Um, I'm currently trying to get back into The Three Body Problem, which this will be my second attempt at that book. Oh, I interesting. Made, yeah, I made an attempt maybe three years or so ago, and I never quite finished it. I didn't really even get halfway. And my husband and I were in the car together, and we don't like a lot of the same books. He's more a prolific sci-fi reader. And so I had this book on audio, and I said, okay, well, let's listen to this one. It should be up both our alleys, really. Um, And now I'm a little bit more further along. A little bit more further along. I'm really liking it. I liked it the first time. I just, it just didn't capture me and I had a bunch of other things to do so I'm, I'm, I'm going for it again we'll see see if I can get through it this time um, and I still have the bells on deck so okay. as soon as I, this the three body problem skipped ahead um, so hopefully I'll get to the bells next cool and so what did Mino think of what he heard from the three body problem so a lot of the three body problem the very ha- front half I should warn people who think I said heavy sci-fi the front like third is very historical like you you go through a lot of what happened in um, recent history in China and so therefore it's not very sci-fi yet like we had just got into the sci-fi section when we uh, when we got to where we needed to go uh, and he was a little bit like, you promised me sci-fi. And I'm like, I know. I forgot. I forgot that this yeah. was. There was a lot of, you need to know what's going on in this situation before you get to the sci-fi stuff. Um, but he liked it. He liked it. Cool. Well, what about you, I, Mary? I am, I guess right now I'm only really reading one thing. I am reading There's Something About Sweetie by Sandia Menon. And this is her third young adult contemporary romance. And I loved the first two, and I'm really enjoying this one. So this one, you're following Ashish and Sweetie. And um, Ashish is Rishi's younger brother. And so her first book was When Dimple Met Rishi. So um, we're following his younger brother, who's still in high school. And he got dumped pretty badly by his last girlfriend and is in a terrible rut. And he kind of, he wasn't really taking it seriously, but when he was talking with his parents, his parents were like, well, you know, we set uh, Rishi up with, you know, the love of his life, Dimple, and so we could do the same thing for you. We could definitely find a better girlfriend for you than you can find for yourself. And he's like, fine, oh, prove it. <laughs> and and they're like, okay, we will. And then he's like, oh, crap, okay. Uh, and so um, they're going to be setting him up with Sweetie. I'm just kind of getting to that part where uh, uh, Ashish's mom is kind of meeting with them and is testing the waters to see if maybe she would want to uh, <laughs> to date him. And so it's super cute, and I'm sure it's just going to get even cuter. <laughs> is it as funny as uh, When Dimple Met Rishi? Because that one was really funny. That one was funny. I think so far it is, it is funny. Um, I think because he is the younger brother, it's written... 
where it's a little you can tell that he's younger. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I'm liking the sweetie perspective better. Um, and then it's also interesting because sweetie is fat. Uh, she's a fat athlete, actually. She's like one of the fastest track runners in, I think they're in California, but because she's overweight, like the rest of her family kind of overlooks it and still thinks she's unhealthy. And so you're kind of getting to see that perspective um, because the author grew up fat and so she's like you know what I'm going to make a fat positive book or you know at least go through the issues that people have with it and you know fat is not a bad word it's just a description (laughs) Um, and so uh, so that's kind of an interesting side Hmm. to the book as well Uh, so that's what I'm reading right now and then I recently got to read a bunch of graphic novels which I haven't done in a long time Uh, and so I read The Steel Prince which is by V.E. Schwab and it is a prequel to the Shades of Magic trilogy and it follows King Maresh except he is not king at the time he is still young he is the prince and uh, so I'm definitely interested to see where the next volumes go for that and I have I have read up to what is out for Saga. I read volumes five through nine. You're so ahead of me, man. uh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Well, just be prepared. (laughs) Oh, I know. That that is a crazy series. Yeah. In a good way. In the best way. Exactly. In a good way. Um, The the way volume nine ends is... (laughs) Um, So we'll see. (laughs) I don't know when they're coming out with the next one, but... uh, uh, there's definitely more of the story to go. Um, so that's what I'm reading right now. And we also have some other exciting news. We are Woo-hoo. now on Instagram. Woo! Yay! Yeah. We decided to start a little bookstagram on Instagram. And uh, it's going well so far. We're just putting up all kinds of photos. And um, mm-hmm. we're also putting up some discussion questions. And it's a lot of fun. So you should definitely give us a follow over at Eclectic Readers if you want to talk all things bookish. <laughs> I'm still shocked that that handle was still available. Right? (laughs) To be 100% honest. We're so late to the game, but I'm excited to jump in. Me too, definitely. And already a lot of the things we've already talked about today, you'll see pictures of. Like Tara said, Gen Con's up there, Pierce Brown's up there, so. It's true. Take a look. Very true. Yeah. Now, for our general book topic this month, we are talking about library lending, uh, especially when it comes to ebooks. And so this kind of started um, last month, actually, when we decided we were going to read this book, and we realized that, huh, we can't seem to find the ebook in our library systems. What's going <laughs> on here? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this book, uh, the, or the book we're going to be talking about, The City in the Middle of the Night, was published by Tor earlier this year, and Tor is an imprint of the publisher Macmillan. So uh, we found out that effective with July 2018 publication, so a year ago, all new titles from Tor Books were becoming available for library e-book distribution four months after their retail on-sale date rather than what currently was the program, which allowed libraries to purchase the titles on their sale date. Uh, which, which makes was, no sense. <laughs> right. Um, which is why we couldn't find the ebook in our library, because it was not available yet. And mm-hmm. then, so we already ha- kind of had that going on. 
And then just back on July 25th, Macmillan updated the library ebook lending model for all of Macmillan, not just for Tor, uh, to be that a library may purchase one copy upon release of a new title in ebook format, after which the publisher will impose an eight week embargo on additional copies of that title sold to libraries. And so, from what I've understood, that means they don't just mean a branch, they mean the entire library system of that right. county gets one ebook for the Which first Which is eight insane. Weeks. Right. For, for certain <laughs> for certain branches that's uh, Can you imagine the DC library system having one copy of a book? Well, right. Like, as just as an example, um, the county where I live has over 20 branches and serves over 1 million people. So they right. get so one a, book. Yeah, so <laughs> a new bestseller coming out from Macmillan, you know, a lot of those one million people who want to read it, too bad. <laughs> like, can you imagine what the hold list is going to look like? Oh, my it's God. It's going to be insane. You're number 1,000 on the list. <laughs> and so, um, so there's been a little bit of an uproar, if you can imagine, if you follow any publishing news on social media. But what's also interesting is I found out... Um, with some of the other larger publishers. So since last fall, Hachette Book Group and Penguin Random House have eliminated perpetual access for libraries, which was where you bought it once and you could just use it indefinitely. So they've eliminated that and replaced it with a two-year access model. And Simon & Schuster changed from a one-year to a two-year access model. So that means they have to keep paying for it every couple of years, which, I mean, I guess if you have a physical book, you do at some point, they do start breaking down and you do have to repurchase them. So I think that's kind of the idea behind that. But while reevaluating their business models, none of those firms implemented an embargo, deciding that the equitable access to information through libraries is also in their business interest. Um, And then HarperCollins continues with its 26 loan model. So they're, they're all a, a little bit different. Um, but Macmillan stands alone in its embargo policy among what we call them the big five, which are the five largest publishers. So, but what Macmillan is doing is they said, well, we're going to decrease the price to $30 for that single initial copy. And unlike the other big five, Macmillan is going to allow that one copy a perpetual access, which... Oh, okay. Um, But then after the embargo period, additional copies will be available for $60 per copy for two years of access. So they're like, we're we're not going to give you what you need, but the little bit we're giving you is really good, so be happy. Right. (laughs) Uh, And so then I was trying to figure it out. I was like, okay, well, so then $60 for one copy for two years of access for all the rest of them, right? So assuming that other libraries are like mine, where your lending time is 21 days, and then assuming that every person who checks it out keeps it for the full 21 days, that means about after every 34th checkout, they have to buy the rights for access again for any of those additional ebooks. So, you know, things I've never really thought about when it comes to ebook lending, right? <laughs> yeah. And so if you think about, like... Again, going back to like a big seller, like sometimes I end up 34th on a list or, you know, way lower. Mm -hmm. So that means already just before a book even comes out, you know, you're going to have to buy this book over and over and over again. 
So here, here's a good question I have. You can donate books to a library. Can you donate an ebook? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Do you know, I've, I looked that up once, and I want to say that the answer is no, but I right. can't you remember why. You own the license, why. and you can't, and you can't oh, give that's true. that license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would make sense, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of like an overall summary of what's been happening in, in the publishing world these past couple of weeks. But, like, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Do you, th- <laughs> I, well, do you think this is a good idea? I have a feeling I know your answer. But... Uh, no. <laughs> as, the world tr- as the world goes towards digital, we are, everything we have in our lives is already so heavy. You Carrying around a physical book now is, to me, that's a luxury. Being able to read a physical book means I'm at a beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? It means like I'm somewhere where I don't mind the extra weight. Um, having an ebook is so, or an audiobook is 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 so critical to to me and how I read these days. Well, you know what's interesting? I was reading another article that said right now ebook uh, checkouts make up about twenty six percent of all of the lending for the U.S. public libraries. So there's still a lot. I don't know how much of that left would be for audiobooks, but I think there's still a lot of people checking out actual, like, hard copies of books. Oh, sure. But so then what are they going to realize? Oh, wait, hmm, the books, the actual books is really where we're losing money. You know, like, so where where does it end, I guess? Um, are they going to start embargoing how many physical copies they're going to give out? How or th- that they'll allow you to buy. They don't give them um, or audiobooks. You know, is the same thing going to happen for? You're only going to get one license for an audiobook. Um, Maybe, th- th- but that's kind of what I mean. It feels like to me that like the publishers are looking ahead and going, okay, the world is going to trend away from physical books and towards digital assets. Right? The world is trending towards digital assets. I mean, when's the last time anyone bought a DVD? Um, how can we make sure that we're making money off that? Because the perpetual access model will not make us money. Yes. So I definitely understand the perpetual access. Like I get where they want to re-up it every year, every two years, because yeah, with physical books, I mean, can you imagine after 34 people have checked out a book, it's probably going to be falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and I mean, not that I think all models, digital models should follow physical models, but it does kind of make sense in the sense that, you know, after a book has been out for like, you know, 20 years or so, sometimes people just stop checking it out. And libraries, I'm sure that librarians, when they're going through what they're ordering for their library, they're not going to be like, hey, nobody's checked out this book in over a year. Let's buy a new copy. Like the librarians have to, at some point, kind of go through and comb through their selection anyway Mm -hmm. so a two-year access model isn't crazy but it is yeah yeah but it is something like if you're not if you're putting an embargo on how many copies you have to begin with then all you're doing is guaranteeing that you're going to get the money for that license a couple of extra times and that's what I find frustrating because you're probably going to get it anyway. 
Well, and that's the thing, because they're obviously doing this thinking that, oh, well, if we only give them one copy for the first eight weeks, we're going to get a ton more ebook sales independent from the public library system. But do you, I don't know, do you really think that this is going to end up giving them more sales? Nope. No. People who are going to buy so. are going to buy. Right. right. And people who will wait. Exactly. People yeah. who have to wait yeah. will continue waiting. Um, I would say, like, this one time, I guess technically they did get you, Jeanette, because we had to read this book right now for book club, right? But I didn't buy it. Oh, And that's didn't. the thing. And that's what I was going to say is I, you know, I don't have a lot of money to throw at um, new titles, unfortunately. And so if it's not a book that I'm sure I'm going to love or I'm sure I'm going to pass on to, you know, Catherine or a friend or a student, I don't buy books unless I know, you know, one of those things is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so when, I, when I'm looking at the book that we read this month, Charlie Jane Anders, which sounded really cool and I was really looking forward to it, but at the same time, I know that, you know, she's got a history of writing what people would call like weird books and I don't always like weird books um so I was like I don't really want to buy this and just to look at Amazon I got the numbers in front of me to order it as a hardcover off Amazon 12 bucks to buy an ebook copy 14 bucks that's so weird so so (laughs) why would I buy the ebook copy how is this going to promote your sales Macmillan I wouldn't yeah. pay $2, even if I was going to buy this, I wouldn't pay $2 extra for a copy that I can't, like, you know, carry around and pass on to somebody else if I really like it. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and so I ended not up losing money on the hard, on, on the hard books. Like, how are you not losing money on printing and shipping? And well, that's like a whole other thing with Amazon. <laughs> yeah. But I, I definitely yeah. just, I got the, paper copy i got from the library like oh good um, okay because i knew you were on the hold list but i didn't know if you were able to get it in time oh yeah in fact you know because i think it's such a new book and i think charlie jane andrews is still a little bit you know under the the radar because this is what her second book yes Um, Mm -hmm. yeah i think she's still a little under the radar i was not only able to get it fairly quickly i was able to renew it so that i have it with me today Ooh. So, yes. <laughs> so. And, and so I think that's something that Macmillan is not taking into consideration, that a lot of people, yeah, they, they kind of try out books with the library. And then if they end up loving it, they might buy it. Or that's how they find new favorite authors who then, from then on, they start buying their books. Yeah. Or, you know, or, you know librarians, word of mouth is a real thing. Librarians recommend books. They um, they have, you know, all these displays up and they're good about still recommending backlist books. It's not like they're only recommending brand new books. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. And I think it's, you know, it's sad because li- libraries are such important centers for community. There are so many places like book deserts. There are kids that can't get to a physical library. Mm-hmm. A lot of my students can't get to a physical library, but what we've been working with them on is every single one of them we've set them up with a Libby account so they can check out ebooks. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. good. 
so but you know what's the point if they're not going to be able to check out ebooks they're not available like uh it's frustrating yeah. I, in the end i think the people who lose are first and foremost the readers losing access to books that you know they want to read but i think also the publishers you're losing gaining an audience oh yeah um, definitely and i don't even know why just you do for, it. i don't know and even just for sales like you got to think about it i don't know if uh, public library sales uh, factor into like the New York Times bestsellers. But regardless, think about how many different, um, I guess, licenses public libraries buy for like the opening week of a new book. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And you're only going to let them buy one per system? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess we're going to see. We'll see how this uh, plays out in the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know feel bad for the librarians out there because I'm sure it probably looks to patrons in some places like you're not buying the book by my favorite author Mm -hmm, exactly like Like, we would love to we can't and I I hope honestly I hope librarians are really upfront about this and be like look we can't (laughs) Um, right well my local library has published the article that uh the article that uh, we're going to be sharing in our show notes and they've made it clear like hey this is what's happening. Speak up, please. Yeah. We want to help you. Definitely. And the American Library Association, the ALA, is, has definitely called them out on this. And um, within that article, they actually uh, put the CEO's address and email in there. So um, salty. I love it. Yeah. They're like, please, like, if you don't like this new policy, reach out to them. Yeah. And so... Um, the email, if, if you are so inclined and you're not happy with this, it's press.inquiries at macmillan.com. Uh, and then they also asked um, what every communication you send to also send to the ALA so they know that people are sending it, which is ALAWASH, W-A-S-H, at ALAWASH.org, which I thought was interesting. But um, before we move on to our main read so that we're not just leaving it on this uh, not-too-great topic... Real quick, what do you love about your public libraries? I treat libraries like an oasis. I go in there. So I'm shocking. I'm an extrovert. But I what? go. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but I go to libraries to literally be around no one else. I go to libraries to be by myself, to discover new worlds, to just walk around and um touch the books. I mean, I love libraries. To me, it's a very tactile and peaceful um, perusing exper- experience. I I love being in there. Whenever I go to a library, I feel very calm. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I, I treat libraries almost as a quick <laughs> vacation away from my life in some ways. So I, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, to me, libraries, I would say they're like a haven. I love my local library. I, you know, we have a great local library system here. We're very lucky, and um, I'm particularly lucky that I've always lived near a branch. And it's it does so many great programs, um, especially for kids. Like, we have summer reading programs. In fact, we have summer reading programs for all ages. There's even an adult summer reading program. Um, there has been presenters, uh, they do, especially in summer, they have, um, a long list of presenters that come in. 
my daughter and I, we've been to two of them so far, probably going to do another one or two this week. Um, people who come in, read kids' stories, teach them sign language, excuse me, <coughs> sorry, teach them sign language, teach them, you know, songs. Uh, they do um, a thousand books before kindergarten to promote literacy. And they also support the local book festivals, getting great authors to come into town, talk to both adults and kids. In fact, some of those book, book festivals that the libraries are supporting are reasons why we've been able to do some of the interviews we've been able to do. It's true. So yeah. true. Yeah, they really are such a huge support of the community overall. Um, so a couple of things that I really like about my library system. So obviously you can borrow books and such, right? But they have what they call a library of things where you can borrow like gardening tools or power tools. They even have American Girl dolls that you can check out from the library. That's awesome. That's so great. Isn't, that, isn't it? Because those things are expensive. Oh my God. I, I would have loved that as a kid. Like my little Samantha doll having friends over for the weekend. How fun right. would that be? Oh my gosh. That would be so cute. So I, I, I like that, that they're doing more than just books, but I also love that, that creating a sense of community. Like, they offer Zumba and yoga classes. Oh, Terry, you'll love this. They have tabletop game nights at the yes. library. <laughs> um, and then they have writing classes and English conversation classes because we do have a lot of, like, new Americans around here, right? And I think that's great. Um, and, okay, the most adorable thing I just found when I was perusing the website, y'all, it's called Pause to Read. And it's this program that allows children kindergarten through fifth grade to practice reading aloud, but to dogs so that they're not stressed out. So they get oh to my read God. to dogs. <laughs> Just it's... stop it. <laughs> I know. It's like the cutest thing ever. That is amazing. God, librarians are so great. Right. Uh, so we asked our followers on social media what they loved about their libraries, and we received so many responses. Um, but here's just a few. So uh, Megan KC21 said, my local library is where I go to write when I get cabin fever in my house. It offers just enough ambiance to not be eerily quiet, but it's not so loud as to distract. So kind of like you, that it's her writing haven. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Chibi Hug 17 says the older books they have to offer are hidden gems that have sometimes been forgotten or looked over, which is what we were talking about. Like they, they keep those backlists there, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jen the Scribe said accessibility. I love that everyone still has access to books no matter what financial situation they're in and that kids still have a place to go to nurture their love of reading. Mm. Those are good ones. Yeah, they really yeah. are. I feel like we I've love been wrapped libraries. In a, I know. I feel like I've been wrapped in a library love hug. Aww. So good. Well, let's move on from there to a future dystopia, shall we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how their libraries are. Yeah, I don't. Do they we'll even go from have... here and go hug a library if you know dystopia is not your thing? But it's a good. Other book. than the university in Zyophods, I'm not sure that there was a library mentioned. I don't think um, so. I don't, I don't think so. So. This, uh, this month, we read Charlie Jane Anders' The City in the Middle of the Night. You might remember Charlie Jane Anders from before, about two years ago now, I think. Meredith and I interviewed her when All the Birds in the Sky was released. Uh, so if you've never listened to that interview, if you want to after that, go for it. We highly recommend that book as well. Um, yes. <laughs> but The City in the Middle of the Night 
Here's a quick summary. <clears throat> January is a dying planet divided between a permanently frozen darkness on one side and blazing endless sunshine on the other. Humanity clings to life spread across two archaic cities built in the sliver of habitable dusk. But life inside the cities is just as dangerous as the uninhabited wasteland outside. Sophie, <clears throat> a student and reluctant revolutionary, is supposed to be dead after being exiled into the night, saved only by forming an unusual bond with one of, if with one of the enigmatic beasts that roam the ice. Sophie vows to stay hidden from the world, hoping she can heal. But fate has other plans, and Sophie's ensuing honesty and ragtag family she finds will change the entire world. So, what is one thing that stood out to you guys in this book? That there were so many things, and so, like, <laughs> I like I want to talk about all the things. We will get to all the things. Um, so... <laughs> Since I can't just say all, well, I mean, I guess I could just say all the things, but um, without getting into specifics that we'll talk about later, just like Charlie Jane's brain is so cool. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I love your brain. (laughs) I'd agree with that. What about Um, you, Jeanette? What's the one thing? Pick one thing that stood out to you in this book. So I think actually what stands out to me and not like not uh, is the fact that there are so like Meredith said there's so many things in this book but the fact that because there are so many things and all of them are really interesting and she does such a good job of laying out all these different facets of this society that we're going to talk about what the thing that stands out to me the most is not going to be the thing that stands out to you the most I really focused on characters and their relationships with each other and other people when we were talking about this book the other night other people were thinking really hard about the issues of time in this book and the issues of narration and things about you know sociopolitical um, aspects of the society There's so many ideas that she touches on, and no two people are going to focus on the same part. And I think that's really cool, and it takes a lot of, I think, talent to put that many things in a book and not make it feel overwhelming. You can't see me, but I'm nodding so hard at everything you just said. There is so much packed into this book, so much, not just world building, but um, personal, personal like you said, relationship building that I agree to not feel like one for this, not to be a 700 page book. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and for the, for it to come across as well as, it, as it does as easily as it does is crazy. I mean, this book is only, what is it? 363 pages. Something right. like that. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. It, yeah. It's a very well designed book in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start big. And then go small. This book has a very interesting framing device. Um, At the very beginning of the book, there is a translator's note. The translator's note essentially states, you know, that this is a historical document. Um, It's been translated from Zeofonte into peak English. um, And it references, you know, 
essentially what is a future future history. Um, what do you think about that? What's the point of starting with a translator's note? Oh, I think it just set the tone right away. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, I am here for this. <laughs> yeah, it really does set the tone. And it's, I think it puts you, it definitely puts you in another world. But it also helps understand some of the the things that makes it really feel like, you know, you're on this distant colony because you're on this distant colony and you're hearing people talk about oh we're drinking lemonade or we're drinking vodka or whatever and we're looking at a bison and then they start describing what they're talking about and you're like that that is not what lemonade tastes like that's not what a bison looks like (laughs) but and and you right away you're understanding oh wait this is translated this is somebody else's perception far away a long time away things have changed it's not even really cool it's not just a translation though right like in some of these cases these people came to this planet and then gave this flora and fauna um and the drinks they created from the flora and fauna right um it what do they call them old earth names earth terms archaic archaic earth terms and it's it's very you called it a colony because that's yes. what it it's what colonizers because yes, that's that's what it felt and that's what it immediately feels like it feels like okay no you don't know that that isn't what a bison looks like but that's like the closest description you have so that's mm-hmm. what you do yeah you're the words that we understand them to be could be completely give you a misconception of what's actually going on and then when you get the actual description you're like whoa what's going on in this book in fact there's a lot of those sorts of disorienting moments yes Mm -hmm. definitely and i think it also Um, sets up that okay we are not seeing this in real time this is something that is being told to us after the fact so mentioned it before but there's a ton of disorienting moments do you think that was intentional um we obviously all probably think it's intentional, but what do you think the point of those disorienting um, beats in this book are for? Well, I mean, it kind of, for me, I think it really put me into the story um, because as, as we see, because they live in this kind of perpetual in-between where the, it's, um, what is it? A t- it's a tidally locked planet, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the right term. So pretty yes. much, it is still moving, but the sun, like, I guess it stays in the same spot. So you don't get sunrises, sunsets, you don't get nighttime and daytime. It's just all kind of that in-between where, where they're able to live, where it's not right. too hot or the too cold. The planet is moving so slow that it moves at the same rate as its journey across the sun. So it essentially, to the people on the planet, it seems to never move. Right. And so they are having to make their own day and nighttime by putting up these shutters So we see in uh, Zeophant that they are very vigilant about this is the time you go to sleep and this is the time you do other things and then you go to is it Argolo where they're just like oh do whatever you want and so I found 
after going from the structure of Xeophant and then traveling the distance and getting to Argolo, it was it was so disorienting. I was just like, how <laughs> how how many days, weeks, months have passed? How long did it take them to travel? What how long have they been in this other city now? What's going on? And then I sat there for a second and I was like, Meredith, um, that's the point. <laughs> You're supposed to feel this way. <laughs> yeah. Which is such, I, I love when books make you feel off. That's so weird, but it, I do. It's so hard to do. Um, but I love it. A time specifically is so weird. Yes. Especially between Argolo and Zeofont. We had a huge argument in our real life book discussion about what, how many hours between shutter times there were. Or did, did we think, was it a full 24 hours? Was it like, Every eight hours, how often was shutter time? Uh, we had a real, we, I don't think we even came to a full agreement. No, no, there was no consensus. I, and no. I think maybe that's, you know, that's also okay. Yeah. Because of, I mean, the, if you look at the characters and the way they're going through their lives, um, you know, Sophie grew up in Zeofont and she still feels kind of, like an outsider, she still kind of feels disoriented within her own city. She never feels like she truly belongs there. Um, and Mouth is a traveler and doesn't feel like she belongs in either um, Argolo or Seofont. So these are characters who themselves feel disoriented and who themselves so are like, true. "Oh, the shutters are the shutters are coming. Oh, I didn't realize the shutters are coming." Let's run to get inside. Or, oh, I hate that I can never figure out where to be at what time when I'm in Argolo. So oh, that that was super interesting with like, well, how do you know when the party's going to start? Well, when the fountain starts flowing water, because it flows water when this thing can happen and that thing happens when this can. It was just like, what? Yeah. And it's just if you like, don't know the system, it'll break yeah. down. And it's a whole like chain reaction. It's like this one thing might happen. So then all of these other things will happen and then the party starts and the characters themselves are so disoriented so the use of time or the in Argolo the non-use of time is so <laughs> affecting yeah. it really is like how long did that acid rainstorm last was it hours was it days was it weeks I was like are they gonna run out of food like I it just ah uh, yeah yeah I really felt like it was days that they were waiting for the acid. I have to no stop. idea. <laughs> I, I don't either, but I, like I really got the impression that it was days. Yeah, it was, and I like, had an argument too about how long this book, like the span of time, this book actually covered. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we don't did know. not come to a consensus. No, I still think it's a year plus. Yeah, I do okay. too. Um, but no, we didn't come to a consensus. I and I think maybe it's not important. I think maybe right. that's. Another point, time is not important. Actions and effect are. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't do a lot of... There's not a lot of scenes in here where people are just walking. And there are in the beginning, but, like, it, that ends very yeah. quickly. And even when they're just walking, they're never just walking. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, my brother likes to say... We heard this at a con once a few years back, and he has repeated ever since. He, he likes to say, you know, time's not real. And that's exactly... Right what this book is trying to emphasize. 
I mean, in mm-hmm. this book, you move from one important moment to another important moment to another important moment. And the imp- entire point of the acid rain is just that it was devastating. This is bad. That's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. The time um, doesn't matter. You did mention earlier, though, Jeanette, um, about the two narrators. So we do have two narrators in this book. Um, Mouth and Sophie. Uh, do you, do you think we needed more perspectives? What did you think of having two perspectives? I know we've had different opinions of that in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do we think? I, I enjoyed that there were two perspectives. I think if we were only in Sophie's perspective the whole time, it would have been a little much. Um, but it was also very interesting that we had Sophie in, I guess it was like, it was present first tense right mm-hmm. yes and then mouth was in like past third past third yeah. yes um and tara you had such a brilliant idea for why this was and it just like blew my mind a bit it's not my idea i think it's charlie jane Anderson's idea i just well you know up but <laughs> you, you think yeah you you cracked um, the code that, is that sophie if this is a future if the historian is a future future and assuming that everything goes according to plan at the end of the book and that this hybrid race exists, that they are hearing Sophie's perspective as present first because it is a part of their, like, hive mind that Mm -hmm. they can tap into. And they're hearing Mouth as past third because it's... She never joins the hive... She never joins the Galettes. And so it's just, from other people's perspective, her story. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is now in the past, which is sad because <laughs> I liked Mouth. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that, yeah, Mouth really was an interesting character. I mean, living on such an inhospitable planet, but she grew up in a um, what is the right word? Like a traveling? What is the word? Um, like a nomadic. They, thank you, uh, nomadic tribe. Can you imagine like living on the road in this world? <laughs> Like, I mean, if you if your only options are Zeophant and Argolo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you have figured out a way to live in the wasteland and not die, and you don't want to be a part of either of these crazy societies, and you just want to... I, yeah, I, I see the appeal. I see it. Yeah. And there, there are smaller villages and towns along the way. Um, there are. But, like, I don't know how you get into them, you know? I don't think they really like outsiders at that point. So, um, and, and I guess, and we'll probably hit on this too, but it sounds like when Mouth was younger, it was also easier because the weather and the climate hadn't gotten as crazy as it was by the time we are in the book. Yeah, I think... She makes it sound like the changes are a little less drastic. Um, like they're less sudden when, and they're getting more more violent when the at the time of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense because as we go through the story and we learn about what's going on and, and what the Galettes have known for years and years and years is that essentially the terraforming that the humans are doing on the planet is is hurting the health of the planet yeah Um, so the planet reacts appropriately it Mm -hmm. doesn't that sound strangely familiar 
Ah, mm. where have we seen that? Hmm. Oh, only in real life. Yay! <laughs> um, See, environmental issues. Another thread laid throughout the <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt like um, climate change and colonialism were like two big things in this huge book. Huge things. And Which are huge concepts that most books, that's their concept. Both. Right. And this is just one of the concepts. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. So, um, we talk about two narrators, narrators. Obviously, this book takes place half in night, half in day. Well, no, it doesn't even really take half in day. But there is a planet, half in night, half in day. There's these two crazy opposing cities. In general, there's just a lot of dichotomy yes. existing in this book. Mm-hmm. True. What, what do you think... What do you think Charlie was thinking about? Hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just, it's almost like a natural thing when the the world itself is so extreme. <laughs> you know, you have this little sliver that you can live in because if you go too far to the bright side, you will like literally burn up within seconds. And then into the dark side, you will like freeze to death. And You know, it's just, it is an inhospitable world that they are trying to make hospitable. Yeah, and it's it sounds balanced. like U.S. politics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it balances between those two extremes. Like there's this tiny little sliver of space in the middle where people can survive. Yeah, and you know, even even then, it's not easy to survive. You have to live in one of these kind of crazy cities, or travel between them where creatures are just waiting to pop up and you know eat you alive right mm-hmm. so <laughs> and, and, their their ocean is literally called the sea of murder <laughs> that's so true and terrifying when you put it that way i mean those giant squids whoo <laughs> oh yeah and you said it like there's this little sliver where you can survive and it's not just humanity in some way it's relationships too right and we see that so much in the relationships in the book between sophie and bianca um who you start the book with and you think oh yeah this is our otp easy Uh, and then you've got mouth and Alyssa, and and, you know mouth sophie for those who want to see it um what do you think about these relationships between these characters how they evolve it's so beautifully complicated um and sad yeah. at times. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good term. Beautifully complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to like disagree. I never thought Sophie Bianca was the OTP. I did not like or trust Bianca from the very first. Well, then you're and... smarter than the rest of us. Congratulations. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would say I'm smarter than Sophie. Because <laughs> Sophie... <laughs> Poor Sophie. Um, but... You know, I I really liked, on the other hand, I really liked the Mouth-Alyssa relationship. Mm -hmm. But it does exist in in that same spot, this sliver uh, between extremes. It's like you can't be too much part of the city life because it's not good for Mouth. But you can't be too much part of the traveling life because it's not so good for Alyssa. You have to find that place where your relationship works kind of Mm -hmm. between the two lifestyles. Yeah. It's a give and take. And um, I don't think Sophie was 
willing, or no, I'm sorry, not Sophie. I, I don't think Bianca was willing to give any. She was just taking. Ugh, she was. Yeah. <laughs> so angry with her all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We. <clears throat> Bianca, so problematic. Um, what do we think about the relationship that eventually develops between Mouth and Sophie? I really liked that kind of that friendship that weird because it's almost not a friendship because they don't like each other for much of the book (laughs) a good portion of the book yeah but that what would you call it a compromise I guess that I kind of like that compromise between them it's like I don't like you but I know that I kind of need you well I remember when Sophie does realize in her POV she's like I don't hate you. I don't anymore. I I don't have room to really dislike you anymore. And that's fine. Like, I've moved past it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's so great to also see that idea of forgiveness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we had a bad start, but, like, everything since then, you know. And that it doesn't need to be some big deal. It doesn't need to be this grand oh, please forgive me. You know, sometimes it's just, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I liked how they said that they, uh, like, so, or mouth was Sophie's jinx. Yes. <laughs> and either you, like, continue to let it, like, ruin things, or you figure out how to work it out together. And become badasses, which they do. Yeah. So. It, it's almost, you know, it's almost like anything else in life you know like oh I you know I have a health condition or I have this thing that exists within my job or whatever and I just kind of have to learn to live with that (laughs) just keep going on and making my life around it but I I think they become by the time they get to but by the time they both go back to Zeofont right Um, and I think the relationship at that point has shifted dramatically from basically like I'm resigned. We, I don't want to go forward with these people anymore. Um, so I need to do something. So I'm going to come with you to having a pretty deep understanding of each other. I Mm -hmm. think. Oh Um, yeah. In a way that I think is very, maybe not sexually intimate, but intimate. Like they, they had that joining moment. Um, where Sophie essentially brain therapizes her. I don't I don't know how to probably yeah, what, explain what yeah. they did. What did someone call it in our book club? Like an intimate therapy session? Yes, that, yeah, that was what it was. Session. Intimate therapy, which is what it felt like to me. Like it, it felt... And, and that's why like a, that idea of like a health condition almost came... Because it felt like that. It felt like healing, like seeking wisdom and healing. Mm-hmm. And like learning to make their lives, you know, make their lives together. Well, and I think that was finally when we had seen Sophie comfortable in her own skin after mm-hmm. after that Ugh. surgery, after she became kind of like this hybrid person, Galette. Uh, she finally like feels like herself. The, the method of communicating that the Galettes do... And the and the way it sort of opens Sophie up 
I think is so interesting and um, to have that sort of it's funny because in sci-fi often when we meet hive brain individuals um, I think the Borg I think right <laughs> um, I, I think Cybermen I think terrifying things that I don't want to be a part of um, but this is much more Deep Space Nine the um, changelings right the founders or like you're individual but you're not and you have and you have the gift of all these experiences and it's much more beautiful than terrifying um that's one of the things i want to get to but before we jump into that theme in general there were a lot we said it there were a lot of themes in this book what was your theme? The theme that, like, to you, you kept coming back to? I don't like know I said choose. at the beginning, <laughs> I think, I for me, it was the relationships and the, the that fact that they do sit in that sliver. But also the idea of toxic relationships. Mm. Because Sophie mm. and Bianca's relationship is very, very toxic. And so I think toxic. it's toxic. It, 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 throughout even though Sophie doesn't realize how bad it is until you know the later part of the book and I just seeing it in a way it just hurt me and the idea that and then you contrast it with Mouth and Alyssa's which all they also hurt each other in their own ways but it's so much healthier at the same time because they are willing to, you know, acknowledge those hurts and the way they're hurting yeah. each other and work through them. And that that stood out to me, that balance between those relationships and the toxic relationship versus the healthy one. And how because sometimes it's... the healthy one means, you know, it's not that we don't hurt each other, but right. we have to acknowledge it and work on it. I mean, it's unrealistic to say that no one ever hurts you the other person in a relationship, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that that happens. And um I did I did enjoy the that sort of realism that came through in this science fiction book about the future. Yeah. yeah. On another planet. Yes. <laughs> um what about you, Meredith? What's the the theme that to you like when you've closed the book you're like, oh I'm not gonna be able to stop thinking about this. Uh, I mean <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'm... There's so many. <laughs> um, I mean, just the whole use of time was definitely something that I struggled with because I, you know, I I like to be in control of things. I like things to be organized. And, <laughs> you know, like you didn't have that. But then also, I don't know, like kind of maybe going along with the relationship, like kind of the idea of like them colonizing this planet and the relationship between the humans and the galettes or like the lack of a relationship where in the beginning of the book we are under the understanding that they are just like wild animals they're called crocodiles even though they have like tentacles and fur and stuff um and then learning that they are like they are sentient they you know like what makes you a person you know they're not just sentient they're wildly advanced yes exactly (laughs) um more advanced than the humans in many ways (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like what like I guess what makes you 
I don't know if human is the right word, but like what makes you a person, you know? And, and we right. see at the end when Sophie and Bianca are kind of having their last conversation and Sophie's like, why can't you accept <laughs> that the Galettes are like in, intelligent beings and they're not just animals? And she's like, well, then then I would have to accept that we are colonizers and we took over their planet. And like, I just don't want to do that. And then what was it all for? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a selfish response too. I re- it's yeah. the, I refuse to learn response. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. you see from her perspective how devastating that response is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My my favorite hook in this book is the idea of being seen, right? Of being known. In the very, I highlighted a sentence in the very first page of this book, and um, I'm going to read it real quick if y'all don't mind. But um, it's literally the first paragraph, and it starts: um, Bianca walks towards me under too much sky. The white hot twilight makes a halo out of loose strands of her fine black hair. She looks down and fidgets, as though she's trying to settle an argument with herself. But then she looks up and sees me, and a smile starts in her eyes, then spreads to her mouth. This moment of recognition, the alchemy of being seen, feels so vivid that everything else is an afterimage. I highlighted the alchemy of being seen, because Mm. I just... The amount it takes in the human world to be truly seen is actually so much when you think about it that it's crazy that any of us are ever seen at all, if we actually ever are. Um, and then we meet the Galettes later who have this ability to know people, know their memories, know um, a person in a way that's very much what she Sophie's looking for right there um what do you think about seeing in this book and the theme of seeing and being seen um the way the galettes do it would you even want to be a galette um Mm. what are your thoughts there well you can't hide anything when you're a galette right it is all out in the open for Mm -hmm. everyone but it's also Uh, very accepting there's yes yes that is true well, and it's interesting that they are the ones that truly see you and they live in darkness. They live in the oh, midnight city. Right. Mm-hmm. True. That's good, too. Ah, it's such a good book. <laughs> Jeanette, do you have any thoughts? Would you want to be a Galette? I mean, I like the idea of, you know, that kind of being seen, being understood. And at the same time, you know, there's a certain part of that they did, you know, it's not all, you know, utopia down in Galette City. No. Um, I want to call it Paradise City from the song. Now I have <laughs> saw it, like music running through my head, guys. Um, but it's, you know, they have the Galettes who, they do hurt each other at the same time with this, um, their kind of hive mind They when they expect certain things of each other and want certain things from each other and I found that interesting too because I think that would also be like a deeper hurt um but it's it is still a really lovely kind of idea I don't know that I would want to be a galette but I definitely would want to meet the galette (laughs) kind of have that um you know, like that have experience. a relationship with the Galette. Yeah, like yeah. have that kind of friendship that Sophie had 
with them originally. I mean, if saving this world meant we all had a little hive mind, I would be okay with that. Like, if it meant, like, all agreeing climate change is bad. Because, <laughs> like, it's so hard. We can't come to an agreement in real life right now. We're, we're all very, well, I think there's an overall agreement, but we can't seem to move anything forward. Um, but they can. They can make those decisions very easily in their in their mind space and I think that's I don't know powerful that's a powerful thing that's a powerful tool that we just simply don't have well, I, was I think it jealous. gives yeah it gives a lot of empathy right I mean you can yeah. actually like feel what people are feeling see their memories um I don't know it'd be interesting for sure um, and you're not so quick to judge you mm-hmm. know? yeah Interesting. To be or not to be a galette? That is the question. Um, so, <laughs> the ending is another thing we were a little contentious on. Um, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's a, this is a historical document, as we can remember. And it, and it just sort of ends with uh, Sophie meeting Alyssa and sharing her gift with her. And then that's it. Uh, do you feel that it was a bit abrupt do you feel like it was an appropriate ending how do you feel uh i mean yes and yes i guess it it, <laughs> it it was abrupt but i think it was done for a reason and and it and it pulls it back like you were saying that it's a, a document it's um kind of pulling it back to that translator note and so when when we were talking about it in book club I had just finished it like that afternoon. And so I was still kind of like trying to figure out my feelings. And then I was kind of like, well, it was abrupt, but because of that translator note, I still felt like it was somewhat hopeful that there must still be some sort of life on January for them to be going back and translating this old document. Right. (laughs) Or that life persisted enough. Exactly. That they left, right? That that they survived January. Some, something, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think, actually, it was too abrupt. I think it was fast. But I didn't feel that it was abrupt. Mm, okay. Like it was just, it just wrapped up super quickly. Yes. Yeah, but, that's true. But because of that hope at the end, I didn't find it abrupt. I just found it optimistic. Like, you know, if it would... It started, it felt like more, this kind of chapter is ending. This chapter of this history book is ending. We're going to mm-hmm. move into a new chapter, a new age. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I liked that. I found because I had to remember the translator note in the beginning when it ended. When it ended for me, I was, Keith I was disoriented. I was like, oh my gosh, is that it? Um, but for a book that attempted to make me feel that way the entire way through, I thought that was appropriate. You know, it it ended and I had to remember, oh, right, this is a historical document. This is just the mm-hmm. end. This is right. just what it is. Um, yeah, I felt it was incredibly appropriate. So, of course, our last question, did you like it? I mean, yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I said at the beginning that I'm always wary when I hear a book described as like a weird book, because I'm never sure if that's like good weird or bad weird. But I thought this was mm-hmm. good weird. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, like I'm all about weird. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was here for it. And it, it really was such an interesting book, you know, and I think we've had such a great discussion with it that it just makes me like it even more. Yeah. I, I love a book that I love and then I discuss it and then I love it more. And that, that has happened with this one. I think that's really, really a sign of an excellent book. And um, you said it before, Jeanette, excellent talent. There's a lot that went into this book. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to people who don't like complicated stories, I would say. But um, I would recommend this to almost everybody. I, I love this, regardless of genre. So... I was really, really happy with it. Um, so the next book for Eclectic Readers, we're going way back. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be reading The Scarlet Pimpernel by... She's a Baroness, right? Baroness Orxy? Yes. <laughs> yes. Baroness Orxy. I've never said that out loud. Um, I've read her name a hundred times. Uh, but yeah, we're reading The Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orxy. Um, I've actually never read that book, so happy to be getting back to a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those classics that's kind of been sitting on my TBR. I'm like, I'll get to that. So this is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So to read more about all the books we've talked here today or to see our article about um, the new Macmillan Library model, which includes contact information, if you want to go and complain, uh, you can check out our show notes at <laughs> eclecticreaders.fireside.fm slash 68. And you can also come find us on the internet. Uh, you can find us as a podcast on Goodreads and Let's See and now Instagram at Eclectic Readers. Or you can look us up on Twitter at Eclectic Read Pod. And where can people find you guys on the internet, Tara? So you can find me on Goodreads or Twitter at Tara Newman, my full name, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. And you can find me on Instagram, almost that. I was a little late. Um, <laughs> Tara Newman, but where the E is a three, because I'm cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Meredith? Where can people find you on the, Insta on the Instagram? Well, I'm everywhere you, else, too. Yes, you, you can find me on the Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, as well as Twitter, let's see, and Goodreads, all under Mare the Book Gal. M-E-R-E-T-H-E-B-O-O-K-G-A-L. Awesome. And you can find me on Goodreads and Litzy at J-M-T-R-I-V-E-R-A. That's J-M-T Rivera. And on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette, D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. -E -E. You can also subscribe to us in your favorite podcaster so you never miss an episode. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps other wonderful bookworms and library lovers find us. Uh, so that's really helpful for everybody. And that's it for this month, guys. So let's shelve this until next time. Excellent. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye. <laughs>